Welcome to a new episode of What Exactly Am I Watching Here, a proud member of the Overthink Podcast Network. I'm your host for now, Jason Helms, and I'm joined by my good bud, Dominic Lang. Say hi, Dom. Hi, Jay. Good to be here. Good to see you. Dom, I had another Monica Bellucci dream. Another one? Another. Uh, Before we begin and get into uh, my Monica Bellucci dreams, a quick introduction to the show. What exactly am I watching here is a podcast that features an expert, myself, and a novice. Myself. Watching one of the great shows of television history. For now, our show is the cult favorite, Twin Peaks. We're diving into Twin Peaks The Return, and we'll take it one episode at a time. Tonight, our episode is episode 14 of The Return. Uh, So, part 14. So, what we know is uh, a blue rose does not occur in nature. It's not a natural thing. The dying woman was not natural. Conjured. What's the word? A tulpa. Well, before we get into what a tulpa is, I'm going to fill this in on where we left off. That's all right. Yo, please do. Uh, I've already gone off the deep end. That's all right. I'm going to bring you back just for a second, and then we'll go right back then. Uh, So Sunny Jim got a swing set. Dougie almost got a poisoned coffee, but then didn't. It turns out that Doppelkoop is really, really good at arm wrestling. The Double R Diner is franchised. The Fusco brothers almost crack the case, then don't. Mm. And James Hurley sings the hit. Just the one. Just the Just one. The <laughs> Just the one hit. Act now for only nine ninety five. You can get all the hit. <laughs> all the hit you ever didn't want from James the Hurley. The hit just keeps on coming. <laughs> so that's... That's part 13 for us, and now we go... Part 13 ended on a very down note, a very lamentable, uh, love-lost note for Big Ed Hurley. And part 14, how can I say this, is batshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Like, we're just going to go. Uh, so, do it. So there is a phone call between Lucy and... Gordon Cole. Lucy, yeah. you still, you're still at the sheriff's department? <laughs> Lucy, Lucy. Well, uh, well, well no, no, I, <laughs> I leave every night to go home yeah. and I've left, left for lunch a couple times. And one time me and Andy went to Bora Bora on vacation. <laughs> I love Lucy. I, oh man. I just, and this is what, to go back to my theory about this being about television, mm. it, this is one of those clearest moments where Gordon Cole is in a different television show than Lucy is in. Yes. And, and he's just not accepting that. Like, he, he does not respond. He doesn't say what a weird thing to say. He doesn't laugh. He just, just stares off in silence. Yeah. Like, he's almost on, like, he's on pause or something. Yeah. Like, I'll just wait till you come back. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not engaging. No, thank you. Uh, so, in this phone call, Cole learns about the two Coopers theory that Hawk is developing. Uh, he also learns about the missing pages from Laura Palmer's diary that Hawk found. And he goes to take this information to Albert and Tammy, who are mid-conversation about the Blue Rose. Mm. And so Albert explains that there was a case with two Lois Duffies. And before one of the Lois Duffies died, she said, I am like the Blue Rose. Then she shot and disappears, and Albert asks Tammy, what's the significance of the Blue Rose? And going back to uh, the quote from top of the episode, Blue Rose does not occur in nature. It's, a, it's not a natural thing. The dying woman was not natural. Conjured. 
What's the word? A tulpa. A tulpa. Now, Dom, they've finally given us something. Yes. Yes. There, there's a hook to hang our ideas on. Yeah. So what, pray tell, is a tulpa? A tulpa is a concept in mysticism of a being or object which is created through spiritual or mental powers. So a being or object which is created, mm-hmm. not uh, naturally present. So it's right. It's it's intentionally made through either spiritual or mental powers. Uh, Very I, similar, I'd say, to like a golem. The big distinction being a golem is crafted uh, materially and then imbued with life. Uh, there is no material component, so far as I know, to a tulpa. It's completely created out of the mind oh. uh, or out of the psychic yeah. energy. Okay. But then goes out and acts like a golem, does the does the will of the person who has created it. Okay. Uh, I couldn't think of anything initially that was like, oh, so you, in terms of like in other instances in contemporary media or literature, I don't know if anything stuck out for you as comparable. Uh, well, the only thing I found on um, Tulpas in Modern Western Society on Wikipedia, mm. uh, and I'm sorry, I just have to read this. Yes. In 2009, anonymous posters on the discussion board 4chan, you'll remember them from creating the alt-right, by the way, oh. started experimenting with creating Tulpas, and the community gained popularity through the emergence of the My Little Pony Friendship is Magic fandom. The fans attempted to use meditation and lucid dreaming techniques to create imaginary friends. <laughs> Wow. Oh, my goodness. A few people did research on this afterwards, by the way. Yeah. Um, Some social scientists and uh, the... Go on. 93.7% of respondents expressed that their involvement with the creation of Tulpas has made their condition better. Uh, They they were mostly very, very lonely and described themselves as having severe social anxiety Mm. and that it led to new, uh, unusual sensory experiences. I'll say (laughs) some practitioners have sexual and romantic interactions with their tulpas, though the practice is controversial and tending towards taboo. And I just want to say this is America. And if I can't have sex with my tulpa, I don't want to live here. Right. Give me tulpa or give me death. That's right. I think Abraham Lincoln said that. I'm almost certain. Yes. Uh, so, so coming back from Tulpadom, uh, I'm always, I'm always keeping us right online. That's my role as the expert here. Yeah. Always keeping us on, on Tulpa lane. Uh, <laughs> so another plot bomb, Janie E is mentioned and it turns out that Janie E is Diane's estranged half sister. Yep. The hell man. Yep. Like, yep. Just casually, and I mean, in Diane's own pissed off kind of way, but Janie and Diane are related, which makes me wonder if Dougie and, and Janie are an arrangement of Diane. Well, and, and think about it this way. Remember, Dougie was created by Evil Coop, right? Mm-hmm. Dougie is a tulpa. Uh, now that we've got a word to use for it, if we can start putting all the theories together. And this is what, you know, Mike says to him is, uh, you were manufactured for a purpose. Mm, oh. uh, that purpose was to confuse, uh, the waiting room so that, uh, Dougie would be pulled in instead of evil coop. Uh, and that purpose has been fulfilled because of evil coop's relationship with Diane. It makes a kind of sense yeah. that he would use Diane's sister as a way of maybe 
threatening Diane, uh, or maybe just a person that he can keep tabs on. Yeah. Right. Uh, but if, you know, what does he have on Diane? Why is she doing these things? Well, one theory could be that he's threatened the life of her sister. Uh, the reason they're estranged may have to do with exactly that, mm-hmm. um, that Diane is trying to push further and further away to protect her half sister. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Okay. That I actually, that I'd not thought of. And for me helps potentially kind of bring Diane back on a more heroic track. Cause right now I see her as complicit with Doppelkoop and more on the kind of villainous side of things, but I'm open to the idea that she's having to play both sides for sake of her sister. Yeah. Uh, which would be a far more tragic. I'm, I'm going to present that idea. Yeah. Uh, I'm not certain whether the show ever confirms or denies that or gives us any more evidence for it, but, but at least right now I'm trying to figure out why in the world would Dougie be married to Diane's half sister. That, that would be yeah. one explanation. That's true. So speaking of explanations and super clear things, Gordon's Monica Bellucci dream. Uh, yes. <laughs> another, another Monica yeah. Bellucci dream. When, when you mentioned Monica Bellucci a few episodes back, I was just like, Oh no, Bellucci's Italian, not French. And I thought yeah. nothing else of it. Yeah. And then when Bellucci showed up, I thought you son of a bitch, <laughs> I was like, mm. you goo, there you are. So Gordon has a black and white, of course, dream uh, with Monica Bellucci, they're meeting for coffee in what looks like a European, Parisian, perhaps, street. Uh, and Bellucci says, we are like the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside the dream. And then adds, but who is the dreamer? Who is the dreamer? Uh, and so I'm having to kind of visualize this. Like we are, We are like the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside the dream. So my first yep. thought was actually uh, Marion Cotillard, who from Inception, who when she chooses, like they, they tried to make a life inside of a dream and then went mad. And so I'm wondering now, just that notion of like dreaming within a dream and choosing the dream over the reality. Yeah. And isn't that what is, isn't that what watching television is? Ah, see. Okay. Now I'm starting to re- now I'm 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 favoring this commentary on television theory a little more now because why would why would Gordon Cole be having lunch with Monica Bellucci in Paris? No, he wouldn't. And why would he be having lunch with a really interesting background? There's actually a cool um, gallery right behind him, hmm. and it's a place that Dar- David Lynch at the time had an exhibition. What? Uh, yeah, uh, the exhibition was called Plume of Desire, and so. Gordon Cole is in front of a David Lynch exhibition Mm -hmm. when he's having lunch with Monica Bellucci. Uh, If we want to connect back to this idea. Wow. I love the moments when it, when it jumps back to fire walk with me. Yes. Yes. In the dream when he sees himself looking at himself. Yes. And when he's recalling the dream and interpreting it and he's remembering David Lynch, uh, uh, what's David Bowie's words. Yeah. Uh, and he's remembering Coop's words. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, it's so good. Yeah. And yet Coop is talking about a dream. In yeah. in yep. Gordon's in, dream, yep. when Gordon sees himself in the dream that he's having as his older self, but his younger self is talking to Coop, who had a dream, and then Jeffrey shows up. And so just, yeah, dream compounded upon dream and not knowing what is reality. And even going back to 
like where this theory is most prevalent with the Audrey Horn scenes of seeing that bleed between a Twin Peaks world and our world. And the very idea that these worlds are somehow connected, that there is some soft tissue between the two. And maybe this show is that soft tissue or that kind of those coordinates where that strangeness interacts with this strangeness. Yeah, in order to to really hit that hard again, the the guy who's looking for Billy in the double R, mm. the only other connection we've got to Billy is played by David Lynch's son. Um, so what? So one more thing that it it really seems a lot of this Audrey stuff and the Billy stuff is linked to this idea of a distinction between reality and fantasy. Yeah, and that the television show is supplying that. I think I think Lynch is really interested in the question of what is what is art for? What's the purpose of it? And a dream, you know. Works is a good metaphor for it. It's not real, but it's if not not real. It also shows us truths about ourselves. Yeah, uh, things we might not want to consider. But the Twin Peaks takes place in that hazy space where you're just waking up or just just falling asleep, and you can't quite tell which one is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And yeah, rather than just a hard reflection, that it's it is somewhere in that in between. And that's what, I mean, for better or for worse, that's what makes the show. That's what makes Twin Peaks Twin Peaks, is that people are drawn to that intermediate space. So what if we took all of our energy and started applying it to uh, to Twin Peaks and, and created theories, created podcasts, followed it around, gave it all of our psychic energy? Much like a group of fans on 4chan ah. following Friendship is Magic. Mm. It would almost as be be as though Twin Peaks is our tulpa that we've created that has a real force in the world because of our collective imaginary, uh, shaping the world, changing it, uh, and not wholly obedient to our whims. Right. Yeah, because the return, obviously, and I'm experiencing this in, in in a far smaller way, but I would imagine that fandom was, at the very least, confused a bit yeah or thrown yes. a bit from by the return yeah imagine the the tlj uh last jedi backlash but in a a far smaller and far nerdier and also far more um il- intellectual elitist kind of camp wow you know it's this is mm, this is not my twin peaks mm. i read the new yorker um you know that that kind of thing yeah. um <laughs> and I, I say very, very different, but the same kind of feeling of what does fandom do? How does it create things? And if so, I think a lot of the stuff that Lynch has been doing to toy with us, you know, what was the scene that, oh, it was the Fusco brothers that you enjoyed in the last episode. Yeah. Uh, where you, you could see Lynch pulling the strings of it and you're like, yeah, sounds fun. All right. I'm here for it. I'll, I'll play along. Uh, is his, him pushing at us that we can't, we can't be Frankenstein. Frankenstein's monster has to rebel against us. And so the TV show has to resist us in that way so that we can learn. So with that, with, like you said, the the TV show has to resist us. I now feel like I'm not going to see Cooper until the very, until the last episode. You've come full circle. Uh, Yeah. I like, and in a, in a strange way, I'm okay with that. Wow. Like that's healing, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. I feel, feel like I've grown a lot. (sighs) Yeah, like, uh, no doubt. Like things have changed. Um, okay, so we are not even close to going th- getting through this episode. 
Uh, <laughs> and and it's not like we've all dealt with all the weird stuff either because no. we got to head out to Jack Rabbit's Palace. Yes, we got to go to Jack Rabbit's Palace. Uh, we've got Bobby, Hawk, Andy, and Truman out at Jack Rabbit's Palace. They are there, present at the appointed time at two fifty three p.m. Uh, they come upon electricity, smoke, some sort of space, and electricity. Sorry, go on. That's all right. Uh, and the skin blind woman from episode yes. three, yes, uh, has been placed in our world. Yes. Uh, so Andy very sweetly kneels down uh, to see if she's okay, see what's going on. They look up into the sky and see the vortex that Cole and Albert saw at the coordinates. Where, uh, don't tell me, uh, Lillard Hastings was his name? Yes. So where, where Hastings right. met the colonel and where they found Ruth Davenport's body. And yes. in this instance, Andy is taken up into the vortex where he meets not the giant, not question mark, but the fireman. The fireman. The fireman. So... Now, okay, now I do worry about being quoted out of context. You asked... <laughs> Uh, so, and, uh, and the fireman shows Andy yes. episode eight of Twin Peaks mm-hmm. uh, in its entirety, okay. and and we understand now what episode eight of Twin Peaks: The Return was. Mm-hmm. It was something that only made sense to Andy. Yes, um, <laughs> it's so funny that he full on just watches. Yeah, it's exactly that. He just watches episode eight, uh, but he also watches some images that we haven't seen in the show yet. Ooh. So, yes, we do see the Bob Bubble. We see the God of Light Atomic Men. Uh, but we also we go back even earlier to Laura Palmer and the Angels, which we saw at the end of Fire Walk With Me. Yes. I think the Bad Coop, Good Coop convergence we had seen? Or mm-hmm. ha- had we not seen? I'm not sure. <sighs> if so, it wasn't in episode eight. I don't right. think it was. Um, yeah. But we also see Andy walking with Lucy in the police station, and Andy is showing Lucy something. Yes. And they both find it incredibly captivating. Megan gasped when she saw that. I'm not mm. sure what she thought was going to happen. Okay. But she was like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Something's going to happen to Lucy? So, like, oh, oh. Yeah, I, I don't know. Okay. Well, maybe I do. Uh, so a premonition of sorts. And then we also see the number six telephone pole that's been recurring, starting in Fire Walk With Me, but it's recurred several times. Uh, it's in Harry Dean Stanton plays the landlord. Uh, his the trailer park. Yeah, his trailer park. Yep. Uh, it's it's the, fu- the telephone pole from the trailer yep. park. And it's always buzzing with electricity. Mm-hmm. Or electricity. electricity. Uh, and Andy comes back. Andy brought, is brought back from the vortex and knows exactly what to do. He seems very resolute, very calm. They've, they've been moved. So they, where they were is not where they are now. And I love the way that they get back to their places. Because they're, they take a variety of routes. Each of them takes six or seven different routes to get there. Yeah. Until those six or seven line up. And I, I think the way that you do that is you script it exactly like that. You shoot it six or seven times. You tell them to just kind of walk, but you show them the marks where they end at. 
and then you slowly double expose those and, and bring it all back together. Yeah. But it's such a cool thing where you, you've got this idea of not just what we discover is time has been replaced. Mm. They don't remember finding Nido, uh, the blind woman. Uh, they just see Andy show up. Uh, but another way of showing it is as though timelines are collapsing is what it feels like. Oh, to me. nice. Yeah, definitely. Like different. Yeah. They're all kind of coming from different lines and different places and they don't remember what happened. But what I appreciate about Andy as a character is that though simple in his approach to life, he's never Lynch never makes fun of him. Like Lynch doesn't demean him. Right. And Andy's sincerity has always, I feel like been rewarded. Like Andy is able to see clearly and he see like his care for the blind woman is very sincere and everyone wholeheartedly agrees. Like, yeah, we got to keep her safe. Whatever happens, even if they don't fully know why uh, there is a trust to this. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's in a way like it's a very, uh, like it's a very sweet thing and a very affectionate thing for Andy to do. Yeah. I want to juxtapose it with one of the first scenes we ever see Andy in, which is with the discovery of Laura Palmer's body oh, and, yeah. and him crying, which is at the time was a laugh riot. Cause you just start this show mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, it's a police procedural. I got it. There's a body. They got to discover the killer. And one of the cops is crying. Yeah. Like, oh, what a, what a waste of space. And then as you get to know Andy better, and there, there is this kind of simple clarity to him. Of course he should be crying. Well, who wouldn't cry? Yeah. This, this young woman has been killed. You know, it's, and, and seeing things from Andy's perspective as the show goes on, uh, and as you prepare for that. Uh, that it's the same Andy that that just kind of shows up with Nido, covers her in a jacket, and says, uh, "We got to keep her safe." Yeah, here's what we're gonna do. Absolutely, I got a plan. Yeah. Um. So from there, we go to uh, James Hurley and Jimmy, British Jimmy, who just crushing walnuts. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, just, which I wasn't quite sure what was going on uh, initially, but Jimmy with the the soap glove on his hand <laughs> from like goodness knows how long ago. Uh, like one of the first episodes of the return and it's James birthday that we find out. Also Jimmy tells, and you know, for twin peaks, one of the stranger stories, <laughs> you just got done. We just got, we just got done with Amy sucked up into a vortex, talking to the fireman, yeah. seeing the past, present and future potentially. Yeah. And he's, he's comes back. There's a blind lady covered like her eyes are covered with skin. She's naked. They don't know where they come from. They can't remember yeah. the past. Right. right. And but, but no, no, the guy with the weird glove. Let's, let's talk about let's how talk. his story is weirder. Yeah. So he finds himself teleported, not teleported, transported to the fireman also. And he is told to find a rubber glove in the store and only one rubber glove. And as soon as he puts the glove on, that hand will have the power and, and force previously unseen, but he can't take the glove off. And lo and behold, through a series of unfortunate events for the man who fights Jimmy, uh, turns out that he's right that as soon as he puts the glove on that that particular hand has it's almost this is like twin peaks version of thor's hammer uh 
this this forceful, powerful hand. And he Jimmy is also told to go to Twin Peaks. Go to Twin Peaks to find my destiny, he's told. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Trying. I, I practiced all day. And so that's why he's a security guard. And that's why he's working with James. Hey, did the store, the guy who works at the store. Yeah. Right? He, uh, he didn't want to sell him just the one glove. Not yeah, Didn't want to sell him the one glove. So British Jimmy hauls off and socks him. Mm-hmm. And he broke his, his nobbler. He, he, he bashed in his gut. Goblin? Go- uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, he, something. Some, Did, he felt, felt a bit woozy. And yeah. Could, could tell that maybe his flarpen wasn't working. Whatever it is that he says. Something in British. Did he kill that guy? I think he like, killed him. I, I honestly he, think he killed such, him. In such a jokey, casual way. Yeah. He, he uses some kind of British. But I, but I think maybe he killed the guy. Yeah. I think he... And fled the country. I think he pulled a doppelkoop Renzo punch and, oh. like... Punched his face in. I think the guy's dead. Yeah. Uh, all, uh, all for sake of a rubber. Well, glove. he was a Jobsworth. Yeah, he. Oh, he's a real Jobsworth. A real. He's a real Jobsworth. That one. His <laughs> job's not worth my time. Jim- uh, J- Jimmy, it's my birthday. You got to tell me. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna. Uh, anytime I, you know, Jimmy, it's my birthday. Come on. Come on. Uh, so there's there's that now. So now. Yes. We know so we're at we're at a pretty good spot. Yeah, in the show, I feel we're like like I feel like if this if this were the end of the episode, I'd be like, wow, that was a lot, and yeah. you know, but but it was it was told lightly at least. Yeah, you know, the story it was fun. Yeah, it we was a, it was a fun one, and I'm thinking, you know what? Let's just grab a drink and let's just relax. I'm all ready for the Bang Bang Club. Maybe some music. Talk about some people I don't know. That's fine, right? So we head out to the Bang Bang Club. What's going on there? Well, we before 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 we go to the Bang Bang Club, we're going to go to Elks Point Number Nine. Oh. yeah, uh, with Sarah Palmer. Why not? Now, Elks Point Number Nine was that where James went uh, when he was at that rich lady's house? Like, oh. is that the only place we know that bar from? Uh, I'm just trying to remember. No, Elks Point I don't know nine, if, if it was. I don't think we've seen one. Elks Point before. Okay, okay. Uh, I think where James went was Woody's. Wow. Yeah. I know. Sorry. No, that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Sarah Palmer grabbing a drink, and there is quite the aggressive suitor. Uh, By the way, it's uh, it's actually Smokey Joe's Tavern in Snoqualmie. What? Is the actual Elks Point number nine. So uh, oh, man. let's call Sean up and let him know. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, so there's, there's someone who notices Sarah at the bar. Uh, this gentleman is wearing a truck you shirt. Um, very aggressive, very profane punnery that's occurring. Um, and Sarah very clearly, but I would say uh, peacefully, is saying, no, thank you. Is saying, it's best if you back off and get away. And then Sarah says, I'll eat you. Mm. And the man says, I don't think so. I don't think you've got it. I, again, like I would destroy you. Sarah responds by turning to the man and pulling her face off. Her face literally comes off of her head and reveals 
all sorts of horrific imagery. What re- is reminiscent of the atomic imagery, black and white. Uh, there's a hand. Something spits out at, at some point. There's teeth. And the only thing, the thing that Sarah, or Sarah, I don't know if this mm. is Sarah, mm. the thing that we hear, do you really want to fuck with this? <laughs> yeah. And she puts her face back on and then rips his throat out with her yep. teeth. Yeah. And then just starts screaming. Yeah. Such a great reaction. So, so holy hell. What in the, like, yeah. What? Come on, man. So what do you want to make of this? Uh, so I definitely think that Sarah is the young girl from part eight. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and I think that that I think the horror, whatever, uh, whatever she revealed to the truck, you individual uh, has been with her since that moment. And I think it was with her during her daughter, during Laura Palmer's last week, during her, her murder uh, at the hands of her husband and all the things that she was seeing. I remember she saw a horse in the living room a few times and had her own struggles with reality. And so I think. And smokes like a chimney. I just put that together. Yeah. Got a light. Oh, holy hell. Yes. Right. Wow. Wow. Uh, so this this feels very much like a horror that has made itself ho- at home in Sarah Palmer. Yeah. Uh, and after that, after that little moment of pure bat shittery, we end at the bang bang. We get actually some a little more backstory on Billy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy and Tina and the soap opera that keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And Jay, you had, you'd mentioned this kind of the bang bang as its own kind of world. Yeah. Uh, as almost kind of, if twin peaks is kind of a soft space for us, this is almost kind of one step beyond. So like an inaccessible, uh, like, Pure television. Yeah, pure TV. Like, we just, we don't know what's going on um, and don't have any access to it. In like a, almost like in like a Pleasantville way. Yes, 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 yes. But it's of 90s uh, primetime soap operas. Yeah. uh, Party of Five kind of thing. Yeah, that the the names almost don't matter. Yes. And that whatever conflict's going on, it's been the same conflict and it's going to resolve itself the same way. So it's almost like, you're better off not paying attention to the names. Yeah. So, and that's, that's the end of part 14. Yes. All right. Let's take stock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've got four episodes left. Yeah. You have any thoughts, uh, about things that you will see. It, it can be like a really specific thing. It can be a, uh, I think, uh, some friends will become enemies. Enemies become friends. You know, it can be as vague or as specific as you'd like to be. I just love to hear where you think this show is going. Yeah. I think Diane makes it to Twin Peaks somehow. Cool. I don't think Janie E and Diane are going to share a scene together. Cool. That just, that doesn't feel the way. Uh, I don't think Cooper, Cooper won't show up until part 18 to the last Mm -hmm. episode. 
mm-hmm. if at all. And if he does there, will it be like the last moments or will it be the beginning of the episode or just somewhere in the middle? Uh, I would say second half. Second half. Yeah. Oh, the, the ending is he just suddenly comes to his senses, looks at Janie and says, hey, how's Annie? Mm. In all seriousness. No. Yeah. And that's it. That's all. <laughs> uh, I think if it does feel like Doppelkoop also makes it to Twin Peaks. Because it, it feels like... And, I think Lucy is looking at Doppelkoop. Mm, that's a good one. I think Lucy is looking at Doppelkoop. All right. Any threads we saw in this episode that don't matter? Uh, let's see. Does, is Sarah Palmer coming back? I, I don't think so. Jimmy's green hand. Jimmy has a part to play. All right. Andy and Nado. Nido, however you say her name. Nido... Yeah, I, I'd say, I, yes, Andy and Nido still have still have some road to run. And, of course, Monica Bellucci. Uh, what role does she have in Twin Peaks? Uh, I don't think she's going to be coming back. <laughs> I had to put one in there. That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just yeah. to throw you off. Uh, uh, you have no idea Monica Bellucci is in every episode. Oh, from nice. On. Nice. Uh, no, I don't. Can't wait. Um, all right. Well, that about does it then. Yeah. Uh, Let's get out of here. Uh, Thanks again for joining us on What Exactly Am I Watching Here? Next time, we're going to be watching Twin Peaks The Return Part 15. And you can watch along with us. Uh, You can also get a hold of us on Twitter, where our handle is at OverthinkPod. And find more at TheOverthink.com. I'm on Twitter as at Helm Street. And Dom, where can people find you? On Twitter as well, at Dominic underscore Lang. And Instagram, Dominic Lang. Until next time, it's 253, fellas. (laughs) 